This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. Otago Access Radio, in partnership with Otago Polytech, brings you Blowing Bubbles. Blowing Bubbles brings you positive conversations with people in their bubbles around the world. How are people living their bubble lives? Working from home, keeping kids entertained, and staying connected and getting exercise. And how are these things presenting us with the opportunities to find new ways of living? Every weekday, the Sustainable Lens team of Samuel Mann, Shan Gallagher and Mara Karatai reach out from their bubbles to chat with interesting and positive people around the world. Broadcast on Otago Access Radio 105.4 FM and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz and sustainablelens.org. Bringing connection, joy, kindness and peace in the days ahead. Welcome to Blowing Bubbles, our daily show connecting bubbles around the world. I'm sitting in my office at home, looking out at the trees, safe in my bubble. And in front of me on the computer, I've got four people. I've got Shane Montague Gallagher, Mawira Karatai, and we're joined today by Steve Henry. Welcome, everyone. Hi. Welcome, Steve. G'day. How are you today? Tell us about your bubble, Steve. Where are you? I'm um, in the northern uh, end of the South Island. Um, you can see behind me Tapu Bay, um, Kaiteri Terry, Motueka Nelson area. And uh, so I'm here in a co-house where I live with uh, my partner and two sons and also another couple, Dave and Kerry. So we, uh, yeah, we share a property here. So that, that we've got six in our bubble plus our dog Yoda. For people that don't know Kai Territory, where is it? What what is it? Uh, it's it's um it's a part of a it's in Tasman Bay, so it's a uh, you can see behind me it's very uh, sparsely populated and beautiful natural setting and it's uh, sort of on the eastern shores of uh, the Kaharangi Range behind me. Uh, Fari Papa, which is Mount Arthur, is the is the dominant mountain and. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's it's on separation point granite, so you get this beautiful um, golden sands when the when the when the um, rock breaks up. Mm. And you say you're in a co house. Yeah, that's right. What's that about? Well, it's about a desire to not fall into the greatest uh, trap of being old, which is loneliness. Really, it's it's we're very clear that uh, living cooperatively is a better way to go, and it's taken us a long time to get here that we, we finally got there into a sort of flatting for grown-ups. So, yeah, the co-house has three living spaces in it, which are quite independent, and um, it will have three families in it when it's completed, but at the moment it's only got two. Um, we're still building the other one. Hmm. And a boat. Which yes, you're indeed. claiming to be in your bubble. Yeah, we have a boat, which is uh, not quite in view here, but it's over the other little hill. Yeah, and it's in the bubble. Haven't been out on it yet. I thought I'd just, the Coast Guard's advising not to go out right now, and I thought I'd wait for a couple of weeks and uh, just see the lay of the land, but we've definitely got a boat in the bubble, which is good because the marina's closed in Nelson, so you can't go and get your boat. But fortunately, ours is sitting on a mooring, so it's uh, available. Hmm. So feeling very lucky. We all work from home. My wife, Ellie's a nurse manager, so she's got a whole lot of people in her care. But they, uh, she's got other staff who, who do the hands-on stuff, and she manages about 180 people. 
I work as an educator for people doing qualifications by experience, mostly at uh, graduate level. So um, I can do that from home, did beforehand. Dave's a builder, and Kerry, um, our other colleague, uh, other co-house dweller, she's a, uh, a communications geek. So she does uh, freelance communication and teaches uh, creative writing at the local polytech. And my, one of my sons is home from uni, and another one's studying Japanese language. So yeah, and being a slave. So that's kind of how how we roll. And how are you doing, Shane? Ah, oh, pretty good. Um, we've got four adults here in the house. We're up in Serpentine Avenue, which is in central Dunedin. But luckily, our house at the end of um, the uh, Park Jubilee Park, and it's. Um, uh, it's at the end of a, our town belt, which makes it really, uh, rough. there's lots of wildlife. So we've suddenly seen a whole lot of birds coming into our garden, which we've never really seen before, when the traffic went away. So when all the cars went away, we suddenly saw, we've got now there are trees and uh, two pairs of bellbirds come to visit the garden on a regular basis. A few wakawakas are coming in as well, uh, which we haven't really seen that before. I mean, here at Ruru, which is the local owl, um, and it's quite incredible how quickly wildlife seems to suddenly pop back into you know just us our garden at the end of the at the end of the town belt. And uh, my son Connor is an essential worker because he's still working out producing chicken feed for the um, for the for, for the country's chickens, and uh, but he has to have a, a, a pass. Uh, to get past the police, um, make sure that he's actually legitimately going out to work. And um, my wife and our flatmate uh, Nora, wife uh, Elizabeth and flatmate Nora, they're uh, both um, just kind of relaxing and kind of doing bits and pieces and well, just hanging out, really. Um, doing a lot of cleaning, we're sitting there lots of <laughs> cleaning. Because, you know, yeah, that's good. Yeah, but we're, all, we're all good. Amawira? Um, we are here in Whakatane. Uh, we just moved house uh, the weekend before the one just been. So uh, just sort of in time, really. Uh, we've got a bubble that consists of myself, three kids, our chocolate Labrador, and two houses because we're still bringing things from the other house. And, um, and the washing machine's still there because the new washing machine didn't get delivered in time, so that's all closed <laughs> down. So, so we're driving over to the other house, which is only a kilometre away, to do washing and things up. But it's neat um, sort of getting to know a new neighbourhood and listening to the sound of birds, and it's nice. I, I'm very happy. I'm here Have with we all my done three more walking? Have we all done more walking than we normally do? <laughs> Not you, Shane. Our, our you walk dog everywhere. Certainly has. <laughs> our dog has been uh, doing a lot more working, walking than usual. And we've got a dog. Yeah, because of the ears, he's called Yoda. <laughs> the wise one. There is no try. It's the Yoda. Let's hear from Tahu McKenzie. Bubble Sprite of the Forest of Orokanui, Dunedin's favourite goddess, Tahu Mackenzie. Kia ora koutou, nga mihi aroha nui kia koutou, ko Tahu Mackenzie So exciting to have this time 
with you all and I hope that you're having the most wonderful day in your beautiful beloved bubbles and I am just so blown away by the honor and the opportunity to share my bubble visions with you all this very fascinating and this very challenging and this very inspiring and this very exciting time for us all so as we all know we are a beautiful species of animal connected to all other living things in an infinite web of life and as a species of animal we are quite newly evolved on the face of this beautiful planet Papatuanuku Earth Mother and as a species of animal, we have evolved this incredible living toolkit that we are using constantly, completely unconsciously a lot of the time. And part of this beautiful living toolkit is our amazing mind. And our mind, our brain, is so creative. It's so good at taking all the observations of our five senses, bringing them within transforming them into new objects, new ways of doing things, new ways of seeing things, new ways of understanding things, creating frameworks of meaning and using these frameworks of meaning to form new technologies, new infrastructures in our world. And so we're really being asked to connect with ourselves even more than we ever have before at this time. And I'm so excited to begin this journey with you today, focusing on one of the most connective aspects of our living toolkit, our breath. And as we know, we take about 20,000 breaths every day. And these breaths sustain our life. These breaths have been enabled for us by our ancestors every living thing that has gone before us cycling those beautiful chemical compounds through their bodies beginning with beautiful cyanobacteria more than 300 billion years ago and as our atmosphere has changed more and more of our family members have come to be and enable the breath that we're taking now. And of course, every breath that we're taking now is not entirely under our conscious control, but the more we offer our consciousness the opportunity to connect with our breath, the more we can connect with ourselves and calm ourselves, calm our mind, calm our body, and give ourselves a sense of that infinite connection which is such a gift and as we take deeper and deeper breaths slowing our inhale and exhale and our body starts to calm our mind starts to calm we remember who we are we remember where we are in this beautiful paradise connected to all life and we remember how, four billions of years, we have survived and we have changed and we have adapted. And we will do this again and we are doing this again. So even in the midst of all this change and all this learning and all this transformation, we will triumph. 
And so for my bubble vision today, I just really want to start with our breath. Tihei Moriora, stepping up, the chance to speak, the chance to share in the life force that moves us all. And really encourage you all to head out into your beautiful backyard bubbles. Take some deep breaths. Remember who you are in that infinite web of life. And breathe easy. Feel safe. Feel at home. Feel yourself again. Everybody, a one with the last? Yes. How are you getting exercise? Bike riding. Walking and yeah. running. I've been doing a lot of gardening, which is unusual for me, but yeah. Shane Gallagher doing gardening. I know. Unbelievable. <laughs> <laughs> I know the miracles will never cease. <laughs> what else is going to happen? <laughs> I'm also doing a building project, putting a whole lot of cobblestones down. It's quite exerciseful, I'm noticing. That's quite hard work. It is hard work, especially when you're not used to bending and kneeling, kneeling on kneeling on hard surfaces. When you're like these builders, that, that's pretty physical business. Did you manage to get all the bits and pieces delivered before? Charlie, oh, I've put a note out on a neighbourhood network. See if anyone's got any more um, cobblestones. Trying my luck. So, Steve, your work. And aware as for that matter is, is mostly distance anyway. Yeah. Well, ironically, we've got busier through this bubble period. <laughs> uh, that's my experience. I've got busier because because uh, we do all this distance-based tertiary learning, which is a very old thing to us. It's not a new thing. Um, we've got had a whole lot of learners in the pipeline who've suddenly gone, oh, I'm going to be at home for the next month. Gosh, I could start that degree I was thinking about. <laughs> and so suddenly... And finish too. And finish too. So suddenly <laughs> yeah. it's like there's all this... Uh, yeah, I've got about 50 learners in my life that I, I work with, and so it's quite uh, busy. Yeah, it's got, it just seems to be, have got a bit more intense. Hmm. So can you tell people what areas you work on? Certainly. I, 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 work, um, I work with learners who are doing bachelor's degrees and master's degrees. And, and, and instead of teaching people, these are, these are basically unpacking people's experiences so that, and through that reflection process, harvesting the learning of that. So in particular, I work in, a, in the Bachelor of Applied Management, which is very generic, where people have, have been doing something for quite a few years, and then they're realizing they don't have a qualification of any kind and would like one. So that's kind of 30 of my learners. And then I've got a dozen, I know I've got about eight master's learners, and they, they're people who are kind of looking to explore their own professional practice further. Um, at master's level and, and it's a wonderful program um, because the learner is able to customise and write the curriculum essentially of what they do and then I work on a lovely thing called the Bachelor of Leadership for Change which is um, where learners really dictate the nature of the learning they do a lot more than any other program I've ever worked on and, and in terms of uh, it would be in the top 1% of New Zealand um, degree level programs for flexibility.
of, of what learners are able to do. So it's very much negotiating with learners how and what they want to lead and where they wish to make that change and then having a big deep dive around their profession and around their personal capabilities. So it's, it's really wonderful. Love it. Definitely worth getting into bed in the morning for. Learners across all of those are about making impact in their communities and businesses and personally. Are they still managing to do that? Um, I think what's happening is it's highlighting for people that some of the change that they want to make is kind of coming quicker than they thought. I think that's, um, that, that's one thing. You know, I've got a lot of folks who are working in food sovereignty or in terms of uh, community-led development or wanting to respond to a climate crisis or people wanting to make businesses more uh, resilient. So, so it's very much those folks are going, crikey, this is real. The, this, this whole um, situation we find ourselves in with COVID has um, made people, the ones I'm working with, kind of uh, sharpen up a bit. Yeah. Hmm. Well, where are you got the same sort of thing? People making difference? I have, and... Uh... I'm really excited that this is giving people an opportunity to, uh, as Steve said, start something new and for a lot of my learners to finish something new. Uh, and, and it just sets them off on a new journey in life once this is all over. But the world will be forever changed. We can't go back to um, thinking that this kind of thing will never happen ever again because it just did. And it happened so quickly. It was... Um, I, I look at how we are as a country and I feel extremely proud of how resilient we are and just how good we are at getting on with things and, and looking after each other and, and comparing to what's happening in the rest of the world. We're doing okay here, I think. Shane? Uh, yeah, so we were, you know, I'm trying to Security at the University and um, University of Otago. Um, we were just crazy busy because we kind of knew this was coming up. Um, we knew, didn't know when it was going to happen, but we knew what was going to happen. So we were having to prepare the university for that. And that involved a lot of thinking around how do we manage, like, for instance, our annuals, and how do we manage our uh, freezer stocks, because we have a lot of uh, samples that are you know, invaluable, you literally can't put value on like medical um, uh, with medical samples, there's samples from Antarctica, there's samples from, um, you know, from experiments uh, that are kept in freezers and kept in special conditions that we monitor. Uh, so how do we manage that when there's no one physically on site to keep an eye on them and have them all around and stuff, but then how do we how do we manage to make up these two labs, which are really high, you know, um, kind of dangerous spaces that need to be managed and monitored? And then how do you manage just monitor the actual space themselves? And then we also have staffing issues because a lot of our staff are a little bit older, like they're kind of watch security staff, they're a little bit older, and uh, some of them have online conditions, so we lost that third of our staff. It's so nice. Uh, so then how do we? manage that at just on a human level and uh, manage all the staff. So, so it, was, it, was, it was a complicated piece because we had a uh, security isn't, isn't just guys going on and keys anymore. It's 
it's a very complicated uh, IT focused um, area or your integration with the business map, your building management systems, your, um, your CCTV systems, um, and it's all being modified by computers. And so yeah, it's actually quite technical. Um, and then suddenly all the work stopped because we've done it all and everything went quiet. And it's just, then you get the revive to the reverse of how to do some really quickly and then talking and stuff. In a strange place, yeah, it's good. Are the things that are time dependent analysis that has to be like done and it's that's carrying on somehow? Yeah, so we still, there's still animals need to be fed, uh, things need to be checked on a regular basis. Um, so we need to be monitoring that so ourselves as well as when the computers do it. So um, it means that the staff are like going around the campus physically checking the installers, doing it remotely. So I sit back here. I'm kind of the last line of. Um, control. So I've been ordered to my office here at home. And I basically can control the entire university system from here, my own bedroom, which is kind of interesting thing to think about. I have a you know, mm -hmm. radio and all my systems, and I can control the entire, um, all the campuses across the, across New Zealand um, from here in my bedroom, which is, which is really, really interesting. So it's kind of that's kind of a thing, you know, I never thought about doing this, but I'm just going to do this. Steve, you've got some music for us. Yes, I do, Sam. Yes, indeed. <laughs> I thought I'd, um, so I, 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 when, it, when it comes to music, I've, um, I'm pretty curious about music which doesn't have words in English, because um, what I like to do is actually just lose myself in the... Um, in, in the sound, if that makes sense, rather than um, so. Here's um, Andrea Bocelli. It's my favourite song. <laughs>
yeah, there's just something about music that's when it's not in English or it's in a language I don't understand. There's something happens that you, I listen behind the words. I don't know about what the effect music on you, but I, I never understood why my old man liked opera so much. But I kind of get it now. It's not about the words. Is that Jack I see in the background? Yes, that was Jack. Superstar of Fakatani, named after a male brown trout, it's Jack Brown Karatai Barrett. What's Jack been up to? What have you been up to, mister? Come and stand up here. Come and talk to us, Jack. What have you been up to, Jack? Hi. Hello. Have you been up to? I wanted to borrow to fix my bike so I didn't have to read so I could just bike away. Jack has got a broken bike and he's waiting for his big brother to wake up to fix it for him. He has woken up, he just doesn't want to fix it. Okay. So. And also, my pedal's broken and that's unfixable. And it's not my chain this time that's broken. Okay. So, Jack wants to ride his bike instead of read. So, yeah. he's really very annoyed with the world today. <laughs> but what have you been up to that's positive these holidays so far? Uh, learning how to wheelie on my bike until it got broken. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the trials and tribulations of being a 10-year-old in a lockdown. Yeah. And what are you reading? Um, this, what's it tell, us, tell us what it says. Um, Diary of a Pirate. My teacher made me read it. Along with four other books. Is it any good? Uh, uh, what do you like about it? Um, what do you enjoy about it? <laughs> You're going to say I'm not being serious. Right. My favourite part was when one of the guys nearly died. Oh, what happened? Oh, he fell off something. What did he fall off? I don't know. can't remember. Then he broke his foot, I think. <laughs> okay. Oh, 34 minutes. Sure. Right. He's got one hour of reading time and he's got a timer counting down. He's got 34 minutes to go and then he's free. <laughs> <laughs> and, there's, and he's got the timer on the TV, so it's really big. <laughs> so there can be no disputing it. <laughs> Steve, have you still got people studying at your house? Yes, indeed. I have a son who's a full-time student at the University of Otago, and he is studying um, psychology and uh, behavioural sports science. So he's online and cranking through his labs and doing all that sort of stuff. And my other son, Charlie, is studying Japanese language, and he's using Coursera, which is an open source platform to do that learning right now. And uh, yeah, so that's, and, and I'm studying too. I'm, um, I'm uh, studying a doctorate in professional practice myself, as I know my where it is. So yes, there's a lot of study going on in our house right now. It's a great time for it actually. Yeah. Let's listen to Liesl Mitchell. Liesel Mitchell is a downtown dweller, urban explorer and conversationalist, observing city life in lockdown. 
Hi there everyone out there in um, bubble land. <laughs> I'm Liesl and I am going to be making a bit of a regular appearance just talking about what it's like to live in the bubble um, as we go through this really interesting time in our lives, probably unprecedented for many of us, um, for most of us, for all of us, uh, this kind of idea of the whole world shutting down. But um, what that looks like for each of us and yeah I'm going to hopefully bring bring some thoughtful ideas to the table maybe some silly ideas to the table who knows uh, when you're in a lockdown mode you can uh, start to unravel in all kinds of ways like will I actually get up and put on my clothes today or will it be pajamas for the rest of uh, the four weeks um, it's a big question and so far I've avoided the pajamas but um, have been making my way steadily towards pyjama-like clothing and we're, we're only a few days in so hey, uh, we'll watch that space. But um, <laughs> yeah, I guess for me, uh, just to give you a little bit of an outline as to who I am and what I'm doing, um, I have recently moved to the downtown area of uh, Dunedin City uh, with the hope of pursuing the, the dream of... Uh, cafes and uh, nightlife and being close to everything in the heart of it all in the thick of it and I moved three days before uh, lockdown yeah apparently um, living in the downtown area during lockdown uh, pfft, not quite the dream I had been pursuing <laughs> anyway um, it's actually kind of an interesting space to be in because town is completely dead and I'm doing my little laps around the block every so often and um, just to give myself some fresh air doing as Jacinda has uh, asked us to do get to that get that fresh air but don't make contact with other people two meter rule um, and yeah it's really weird to see Dunedin just kind of shut down and people in general are not really around and the idea that the whole main street is just shut is kind of one that I don't know is kind of messing with my head because it's like well what are all these buildings there for when we just shut them down and actually I'm not really missing it in in lots of ways like I am missing my normal sort of life but I've just been thinking and I put something up on Facebook today about um you know, we're, we're in our homes, we're probably spending a wee bit more money on things like power and stuff because we're, you know, burning the old heat pump or whatever we might need to do while we're, we're at home. But are we spending any other money? Like, I, I usually go to the grocery store every single day, but haven't been doing anything like that, uh, obviously. But, so I feel like I'm saving money. I'm not spending it at all. And this makes me think, well... What the hell was I spending all my money on every single day? Um, things that I didn't need because here I am in my in my place with everything I need. Um, and you start to sort of question some of this stuff like, what, what exactly was I doing with my life when everything was open? Was shopping my hobby? Is that is that what I was doing to pass the time? Yeah, so anyway, as you start to... Um, <laughs> <laughs> look out on the, the urban um, decay of Dunedin in its um, all its glory. Actually, it is a glorious place. Uh, but, you know, no people. You start to realise that actually it's not the, it's not the industry, it's not the, it's not the shops, it's the people that, um, 
that I miss actually not so much the shopping um, anyway I will be giving little little blurbs a little bit like this one um, hopefully adding a little splash of joy into your bubble and your um, lockdown life uh, and yeah looking forward to continuing the conversation around how life is in this quite changed world and I think it will be a changed world so looking forward to the next time we chat take care out there are we all noticing a similar sort of thing are those people moving about yep oh look it's because I live in a tourist hotspot it's just so liberating not to have tourists here it's incredible <laughs> it's like New Zealand 30 years ago quite frankly it's just beautiful and quiet and makes me realize how much over tourism there is actually um, uh, it'll be really interesting to see if tourism ever recovers from this actually to the extent that it has I, I think it's in for a, a two-year hiding minimum I don't know what other people think but uh, it's hard to imagine people willingly at the moment traveling across New Zealand to New Zealand from other parts of the world given the risk cost etc let alone the airlines getting going again so it's a fascinating um, thing to watch and it, well, I've got quite a few friends with tourism businesses who have just gone oh well that's it we're toast it's just shut now let's not even pretend let's let's have a bit of government subsidy to help us segue into something else but actually we can't expect it to ever be how it was so it's very sobering and very interesting and very positive too actually <coughs> um, as a New Zealander I think it's a low-wage economy and a low-wage game and I think it's a it's not a particularly good way to make a living personally I think we are smarter than that New Zealand we can do better it's going to be interesting to see from the the tourist data from before this happened because anecdotally at least the tourists were way down in places like TNL this summer and I think that the significant influence of that was the that the Europeans, in particular the Scandinavians, not flying for climate change. So all of those things we've been saying for climate change for so long and was, was impossible, all of a sudden turns out are possible. Well, that's because uh, some, somehow people will listen to an epidemiologist or a health scientist, but they won't listen to a climate scientist. <laughs> and that's, that's quite a curious uh, take on, on our culture, isn't it? Um, if it's not in your face enough, it's not real. So, yeah, I don't think humans, the, the way we've been running our culture, and I'm hopeful for a major reset here. Personally, I hope the price of property devalues 40%. I hope we end up with a universal basic income. I hope we end up with many things so that we um, have increased wealth parity and opportunity um for life and um yeah i think I, for me i think it's um it's a very curious time i mean it's a pivot point i mean you know i mean people talk about the great depression or the great wars i think i think this is a whole paradigm shift and i think it's a much this is the death of neoliberalism as far as i'm concerned this is this is where we've really seen who matter right now and sports people do not highly paid professional sports athletes don't earn a cent and rightly so, actually. Why, why would we pay that much money for people to play those games when people are hungry and don't have adequate housing or unaffordable housing? For me, that's just ludicrous. So I think this is a massive reality wake up, and I like it.
very grateful to have an inspiring leader in Jacinda Ardern at the helm, rather than a muppet who's not able to make uh, bold decisions and uh, be willing to be kind. Mm. So I think there's trajectories in other countries which are not pretty. So walking about the streets, it's there's there's, there's people out walking in their bubbles, enjoying themselves. It's hard not to to, to have the feeling of this is all right. Maybe this is a better way after all. I agree. Waikatani is such a tourist town and, uh, and we're used to being completely overrun by them. All of our conservation estate around here is, has been looking very shabby because there's no money uh, from DOC to be able to maintain anything. And um, we have a chance now to recover. And it's, it's nice to be able to just enjoy our natural environment without jostling for space um, from a place that has just been overly marketed for tourism. Now, we, we have this on the back of the disaster that happened at Fakari. Uh, and we, as a community, we were really still mourning the loss of lives from, you know, from not just our, our visitors, but also our own people here. Um, and... We didn't really have a chance to recover from that before this happened. But immediately that happened at Fakari, we lost a, a lot of our tourism. So it's been, it hasn't been a sudden shock for us. It's been quite a gradual decline uh, over the last few weeks. But there are businesses who are saying they're closing and never reopening. Um, and I get that, I understand that, but there are lots of other opportunities that will present for themselves at the end of all of this so can we as a society manage to manage that disruption i think if any society in the world can it's this one it's the way that we're wired we're wired to manage disruption we're wired to overcome adversity we're on the other end of the earth away from everyone else and we've always had to make do with what we have and we will continue to do that. And in fact, I see this as a huge learning opportunity for our generation of young people coming through now who really haven't had adversity to have to manage. Um, if you think of us, we're the product of, of usually war parents who had to make do with limited resources and, and had to um, be engaged as part of a community, whereas our children haven't had to do anything like that. So I, I think that we have the opportunity now to instill those values and skills uh, and rebuild community uh, and rebuild that sense of, of course, we can do it. Mm. Rahui Images by Andy Thompson, providing us with daily inspiration through the camera lens. See Andy's pictures on Andy Thompson Photography NZ.co.nz. Kia ora, uh, it's Andy Thompson here, um, and I'm talking about uh, the blogs that I'm putting together over this period uh, where everybody has to stay together, uh, stay at home, I mean. Um, so I've called uh, my blogs COVID 19 Rahui images and each day I'm putting a blog together um, and I chose the word Rahui instead of lockdown uh, because uh, it represents te reo Māori and, um, and I guess um, 
Raa being ban or restriction in hui um, is gathering and assembly. So it has a, a broader concept, I think. And it's, um, te reo is always uh, more of a organic, um, uh, nicer sounding uh, way to kind of describe things, I think, um, than lockdown. So um, yeah, what my first blog is about is um, uh, really came about because I woke up in the morning and um, it was a stunning day on the first day in uh, Dunedin and uh, in New Zealand um, was the first lockdown day or Rahui and um, I suppose most people kind of went out and went yippee I don't really have to go to work today but I have to work at home and um, uh, and lots of people had to go to work I acknowledge that so anyway so I thought um, uh, I'm a photographer and uh, an artist for that and um, what a great way to celebrate by doing initially an image a day and posting that and um, and then it got a little bit bigger and uh, and I decided to do a, a, an image on my photographic site uh, my personal Facebook site and then I started doing the blogs and I thought I would write about the journey and each blog that I put out um, I'm doing a photographic tip um, to help people um, understand photography and also maybe get some ideas on what they can do. So to share the knowledge is is what I'm actually really, or the reason that I'm doing the blogs. And so my first blog, you'll have a look at, uh, which was on the 26th of March, and um, and uh, it was a stunning sunrise. And so it just kind of all came to me at once. And uh, I went out into my little bubble, and I uh, there was a scaffolding kind of close by so I clambered up that it was a little bit precarious got up the top and got a couple of um, images and um, struck me that lots of people like doing um, having starbursts in their in their photos and the starbursts are actually quite easy to get um, and I don't do any photoshopping on my images uh, to get starbursts um, mainly it's about uh, my hot tip is um, it's what equipment that you choose and your settings and understanding what that is so uh, the blade configuration within your lens is the key thing to getting really good starbursts. And some lenses are better than others. And so the more blades that you have in there will be the more starbursts you'll get out of your lens. Um, but not only that, you've got to have the right settings as well. So um, understanding that having a, a small aperture, uh, which is a big number on your aperture, so something like F16 to F22, um, and then also you'll need to compensate that with making sure that you've got your ISO and your shutter speed um, right. So usually your shutter speed will be a little bit high. You'll see that on my blog, um, the two shots that I took weren't actually my best lenses for Starburst. Uh, the one on the left uh, does okay, which is a 20mm um, prime lens. And also the one on the right is my 70-200, which is not that great for Starburst, but still has a little bit out there. My best lens is uh, 1635 uh, f2.8 uh, uh, Canon L series lens, and that gives me my best starburst. So um, yeah, give it a crack, get out there, um, and keep up and uh, have a look at the blog as I write about the journey through this new Rahui that we're doing. All the best, kia kaha. We'll put a link to Andy's pictures on our Facebook page, um, and the link to. Um, Andy's blog. Can you see the sunrise from where you are, anyone? Not right now. No, no, not. 
Steve, you look like you're sitting in a place that you can see sunrises. Yeah, with a short walk I can, and yeah, I watched it rise over the sea this morning. It was quite something. Yeah, beautiful thing. I mean, I think the big thing we have to do is learn to share. I just don't think we've, we've, had to, we've done that very well in the last um, couple of generations. And, um, you know, the fact that I live in a house and the, one of the primary motives is that we can afford it because otherwise it would cost just too much. So having multiple families work out how you could share a house, is, to me, is much better use of resources than having a big one each, which are too big, crazy big. Um, so yeah, I, I I love the light on the water and how it changes and the light. It's just we're just so blessed with uh, beautiful changing light in this country. It's outrageous. So Steve, some questions to end with. You've had some of these before when we're on prop on sustainable lens, but we'll ask them again anyway. What's the biggest success you've had in the last couple of years? Oh, successfully. Um, easing two high-functioning autistic sons into adulthood. What's your superpower? What's got you into the, the mansion of people doing, doing good for the world? Uh, my ability to herd cats and change cultures within groups of people for good. I think that's my power. Hmm. Do you consider yourself to be an activist? Absolutely. I'm activating change within the tertiary education sectors where I'm choosing to focus that, and we sure are activating a storm. Are you able to do that from inside a bubble? Yeah, very much. It's, um, yep, no problem with that one. And what's motivating you? What's getting you out of bed in the morning? Um, I think the opportunity we have here is is really unique i mean we have we have the world's attention all of a sudden around disruption in a way that has and and the ability to take our poorly designed industrialized systems and and design them for regeneration essentially and that's a beautiful thing to be a part of and so i'm doing an awful lot of writing at the moment and creating about that i haven't published much of it yet but it's coming and I'm articulating my thoughts. I'm reading, you know, the, the likes of people like Charles Eisenstein who are writing beautiful work at the moment around uh, the, the opportunity we find ourselves in as well as the dilemma. Yeah, I think it's a pivotal time. Um, and it's a unique time. And imagine how often does tourism get halted? How often do flights just get, how often do borders get shut? And, and uh, all these things, it's a fascinating case study as to what's going to happen to New Zealand. You know, I think a whole lot of things are going to happen around people's tolerance for pollution is going to drop. You know, I, I look what's happening in Beijing and other places where the sky is blue all of a sudden and, you know, a million and a half Chinese a year die from uh, air pollution related causes. And suddenly when you shut your economy, that doesn't happen. It's going to, isn't that going to make those folks activate into asking the question of we don't want it to go back the way it was, thanks. I mean, I just can't imagine. Just as I think a whole lot of New Zealanders are going to go, you know what, without all those tourists here, it actually is quite different. Gosh, it's, it's, um, we have time that we haven't had. And, um, and I, I'm not bagging the tourists. I mean, they're, they're wonderful and they're welcome. But there becomes a moment where it's not just about infrastructure. It's actually about space. And it's about, you know, how do you, and what, what, 
how do you value that? It's not actually, you know, to me, what we've had is we've had a business which has commercialized, privatized the profits and it's socialized the losses, basically, into community and ecology. I mean, that's where the losses of tourism have sat. Um, and, and I think that is a, um, a thing that hasn't been consciously and made visible that much in the past. But right now, it's really visible. And there's 12,000 Germans stuck in New Zealand, apparently, right now. You know, and uh, it's a lot, isn't it, European tourists? But it's their time of year. And we have thousands of them around this area, and they're welcome. But we know people who've taken them into their homes and have put them in their bubbles and, have, and adopted them. And it's great. But suddenly, when you realize there's that many, it's like, wow, that's an awful lot of people that we are um, catering for. And do we want, you know, it's kind of just grown up on us. Do we want to have this happen? We've never actually been in the position to ask this question. And I think that position's, that question's coming. Um, do we actually want? And this growth mindset, I think it's not necessarily the right way to go because in a finite setting that we're in, it, it just comes a moment where it doesn't work. So I, I do think we, I'm very delighted that several governments around the world, including ours, are really looking hard at well-being as a measure of success and uh, budgeting for that success and planning for it. So I'm very optimistic that good will come from this. What challenge are you looking forward to in the next couple of years? My obsession for wanting to do things rather than be things. <laughs> so my natural tendency has been to, to rush and to achieve. And actually, I think there's a lot to be achieved by having higher well-being and influencing less more effectively. So that's my, that's the journey I'm on. Say less, do more. So other than making the COVID virus go away, What's a miracle you'd like to have happen in the next, well, let's say tomorrow. I would love folks to prioritise their well-being much more than they do. That, that would be my wish. And I, I mean the, the inner as well as outer. So investing as much time in meditation as you do on the screens, for example. That would be a miracle I'd love for. And advice for our listeners? Oh, find your own way. Don't outsource anything. Health, well-being, resilience, opinion, all that. Just don't outsource it to anyone else. Find your own. And today's closing thoughts from Shane and Mawira. Shane, you're up first. Well, I just think you know this is a huge opportunity for us to see what you know uh, what we can do. I mean, everyone's pointing out the fact that suddenly all these things that we couldn't do, like in Ireland, they, they nationalised the health service, all the private clinics and, and hospitals, so they did that overnight. And suddenly, every, all the homeless suddenly could be home. Uh, I think it's going to be transformational for society because we, I think people realise that we're told we can't do things. It's that, not that we can't do them, it's that we choose not to. Um, yeah, so I think that's the key takeaway. I think for a few days. And Mawira? Um, my closing thoughts is today reach out to someone who is on the front line, a doctor, a nurse, a person who is having to leave their family, the safety of the bubble, to go and put themselves at risk for all of us and say thanks.
Absolutely. Thank you, those people. Yeah. And the supermarket workers. All, all of a sudden, people that we haven't been valuing turn out to be really important. And giving so much of themselves for all of us. Thank you very much, everyone. You've been listening to Blowing Bubbles, new show on Otago Access Radio. You've been talking today with Steve Henry, Shane Montague Gallagher, Mawira Karatai, and Jack. Hi, Jack. You can join in with us again tomorrow. We hope you enjoyed the show. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand on the air.